0: Welcome to our podcast. We are The Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I'm your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co host, Nick. Hello! Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Give us a follow on Twitter at Kinotomic if you'd like film noir. Today, we continue our November season with another unusual pairing. Um yeah, I didn't really know if there were any similarities between the two films on our podcast tonight except that they're both noir, so that's good, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I tried I tried to think about what they would kind of fall under apart from, you know, the noir, noir bracket. Um and I think that I I think that the both films can kind of show how one can either um, thrive or be punished by circumstances that um, they kind of find themselves in In so that's what I'm going with um, yeah
0: I guess you could probably think of like morality and what is ethical and what is morally right and wrong
1: yeah I'd, I'd go with that yeah I'd go with that I think there's a and, definite and side punishment. of I think there's a definite difference between you know what happens? Like, I'm going to get into it in my notes, but like, what happens if someone someone's going to get punished by doing something, and another person who succeeds does something
0: worse doesn't get does, punished? Yeah, and gets they succeed, rewarded. and they
1: get rewarded, and and I think it's kind of emblematic of the era in which of these films.
0: Absolutely, are made. yeah, good but, point.
1: But so, I'll get into that. I will get into that.
0: <laughs> yeah, are you are you guys intrigued yet? I, I hope, hope so. so because um, let's just kick off with a 1958 film, which is one of my absolute favourite French films. 1958 film directed by Louis Malle. And here's a... uh, it's called... um, uh, Maybe I should... There's two titles in English, actually. It's called... I think the British English would call it Left to the Scaffold, and the American would call it Elevator to the Gallows, but in the French version it's called Ascenseur pour l'échafaud, which is Lift to the Scaffold. In the directed podcast by...
1: title, yeah, sorry, no, I was going to say, in the podcast title it will say uh, Elevator to the Gallows, so that's what we're Because
0: we're mean. so American, aren't we?
1: We are so American, despite the fact that I'm <laughs> British and you're European.
0: <laughs> so yes, the film is directed by Louis Malle, and here's a quick synopsis a self-assured businessman murders his employer the husband of his mistress which unintentionally provokes an ill-fated chain of events so what did you think of it nick
1: um so uh, i'm i'm going to kind of start off by not actually talking about the the main character or the main two characters um you know you've got uh, julian uh Tavernier and uh Florence Carala. I'm actually gonna like kind of talk about Veronique and, and Louis first. Um I think it's really interesting to see a film doing what um Jean-Luc Goddard's Breathless does, but I think kind of better. Um so <laughs> oh I've God. said I've made I've made it known on a number of occasions how I really dislike Godard. But yes. Don't get me wrong. That's why I, I was
0: laughing, because I know how much you love Goddard, which despite,
1: is not so... Don't get me wrong, like, despite my my dislike for most things attached to Goddard, I mean, Breathless is is a pretty amazing film in, in what it is and what it represents and how important it is for film canon. Um, And I kind of sort of like Alphaville, but that's only because of its science fiction elements that's in there. I don't think I've um, seen it. But... <laughs> In 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 Breathless, you got the, the the two young lovers who end up kind of, you know, committing a crime and end up getting caught up in this you know thing that's going on. And I just feel that Elevated to the Gallows kind of presents these you know, the young lovers of Veronica and Louis with more agency, more character. Like I I I was more compelled by these two. Um, I mean, Louis, you know, he's a, he's he's a delinquent youth who who doesn't understand his place in the world. Um, you know, in this post World War Two France, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of you get in that straight away. Like, he he has no. There's a reason why he's acting out. There's a reason why he's pretending to be Julianne in front of the Germans. You know, it's because he he just he just doesn't understand what he's meant to do with his life. And then you've got a woman who is. I wouldn't say even a woman, a teenage girl who is head over in heels with a love in love with a man whom her mother would say to stay the fuck away from you know but she is so entranced by him and what he what he is you know it's a teen, it's a young love kind of thing and i feel that these two are much more more um i don't say tra- tragic but but just a much more like compelling characters than than that other two in, in breathless whose names i can't remember off the top of my head um, so with that in mind, it is it is kind of it's Louis' like impetuousness, um, that is kind of like, is the fire that has been sparked by Julian's mistake, you know Julian had gotten away with the perfect murder, he he pretty much had you know, but due to a, a, a ticking clock, you know uh, you know, he makes a fatal mistake and because of that, you kind of, he ends up being stuck in this elevator, unable and unaware to change any of the events that are happening around him, you know he's completely oblivious to what's going on with his what with his car. He's completely unaware of of, of you know the fact of these these Germans being killed in his name being brought into it. You know he's stuck there. He has no idea. You know there is kind of like a a blackness to it. You know it's like it's a punishment. You know he in in the rules of this film. You cannot commit adultery and murder and not be thrust into a horrible, you know, purgatorial punishment, which is what this elevator is. You know, he's yep. pretty much just stuck in purgatory. Um. I want to say that Jean Moreau as Florence Carla, she is utterly stunning um as she kind of wanders through the nighttime parisian streets you know looking for her love that had, she had thought had seemingly abandoned her you know the rain drips down her face and i i you know i feel this loss and yearning for her you know that she's just wanting her love to come to her you know after she knows what he's done and she's scared she's vengeful she's hypnotizingly beautiful and <laughs> I said last week that uh, that in uh, Le Bette Humaine that Simone Simon was, was, was the defining look of the femme fatale. I'm going to completely retract that and give it to <laughs> John <Jean> Rowe. <Moreau>. Um, <laughs> so, it's
0: the French women, man. I don't know what... Fr-
1: <laughs> it is the French women. Um I don't so, know what's yeah. with
0: them, what they put in the water there. It's just like, dude, stay away from them.
1: <laughs> yeah, you've got to stay away from French women. Um he says while he's looking at places to live in france uh, <laughs> <laughs> no um so yeah i I did really, really enjoy this film. um I thought the score um I know I was watching the credits kind of pop up and, and I saw miles davis's name, and I was like huh that's oh okay um yeah. and was 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 it was so sad and haunting. And it was just... It was so beautiful. Um, the way the kind of this film wraps up is is that I feel that... <laughs> like, Julien would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those darn meddling kids, you know? Yes. To, to quote Scooby-Doo. Um,
0: <laughs> I can't believe you just quoted Scooby-Doo.
1: i was going to quote Scooby-Doo. Um... Yeah, no, I I really really enjoyed this film, and I'm I'm kind of happy. I'm more than happy to have more films by Louis Marle on on the on the pod, um especially if it means if especially if, if these films are as good as this, because from what I can gather, this was his first feature film, um and I even though on my letterbox, I've rated this four out of five stars, um I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed Breathless, which I gave five stars. And that is because of what Breathless is and what Re- Breathless kind of represents to the film canon. However, if you were to give me Breathless or this to watch, I would choose this to watch in an heartbeat. Um, so yeah, no, I, I... If it means that I I can watch a film that is kind of... It just feels... It does feel really confident. But there is kind of like a rawness around the edges to it. And I found the editing to quite, quite interesting at times. Um, I found the way... Um, like the framing of Jean Moreau was um, mm. to be very, very uh, kind of controlled and understanding of what, you know, the camera is looking at. Um, you know, which first-time directors, you know, you look at some first-time directors' films and, and just think, well, oh, you kind of got some semblance understanding of what you should be doing with the camera. But yeah. here, like I understand that Louis Mal knows exactly what he should be doing with the camera. Um, and like I he said, does you know, have, I,
0: he does have a couple of short uh credits to his name, like directing credits before. Okay, he's got, um, he's got a documentary credit as well 1956 The Silent World. I've just checked, but the first feature is Elevated to the Gallows.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I would say that, yeah, happy to have more film stuff by him on the pod. Um, I think he did uh, my, demo, my dinner with Andre. Um, which is a film which has been on my watch list for, for a long, long time and I still haven't got around to watching it. Um, and, yeah, I don't think yeah, no, s- if- I've,
0: I have not seen that.
1: Cool. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'd I, I be more than happy to kind of talk more about Louis Malle, especially if it means that I can say more about how I like his films more than I like anything by, uh, by his <laughs> contemporary, who is now not going to be named anymore because he's not worth it. So, yeah, no, I... He must I,
0: not be named Voldemort? He
1: must be named... I mean, he's old enough to be, isn't he? So, I suppose... <laughs>
0: he's got horcruxes all over the place. That's why he can't be killed.
1: <laughs> uh, what, would, what would his horcruxes be? Like, it would like, be a camera... I can't believe we're would, doing this. It would be a camera. It would be a, a, an ashtray. That's ash too tray. easy. That's
0: too easy, no.
1: It would be a sunglasses.
0: <sighs>
1: um... Like it would be a random French record <laughs> LP from like 1946.
0: I think he. Has um, pro- I think there's going to be a journal that he and Truffaut contributed to. Some sort of a copy of Cahiers du Cinema or something. Yeah, like that.
1: Yeah, Cahiers de Cinema will be in there. Um, <laughs> h- h- how many Horcruxes? There were what? Twelve? Was it twelve?
0: No, Jesus, there's only seven. Seven. Oh, Sorry.
1: Six. So anyway, six Harry, seven. So we've got the sunglasses, we've got the ashtray, we've got the journal, we've got the LP. We've
0: got um, the camera.
1: We've got the camera, so we need two more. Um. Oh God, I, I don't know what else is other than be. This,
0: and I, I would suggest something like Anna Karina's favourite mug.
1: Anna Karina's favourite mug, so that's six. That's fine. And then, and then, I don't know. Is there, is there anybody still alive that we could say is a a clapboard? A clapboard. There we go. A seven. So we've we've identified what Jean Luc Godard's Horcruxes are. So if anybody can hunt those down, we might actually be finally rid of him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're so evil.
1: <laughs> I I don't mean it. No, I don't. I don't, I don't mean it. Um, no, no, no. He's all right. No, it, it, yeah. I mean, he's a, a grumpy old man, but yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I
0: speaking of dead people, I've visited Truffaut's grave the other day.
1: Okay. What was, yeah. How was that experience for you? Because I know I, I think you're... I
0: had tears in my eyes. I didn't expect to get tears in my eyes, but I did. I was quite sad because he died very young.
1: Yeah. How old was he?
0: I think he was 53, 52 years old.
1: Oh,
0: wow. And yeah. It was, it was quite sad. And, yeah, I just, like, I was thinking about all the things he could have done that he didn't get a chance to.
1: And I think about all the things that Godard's done and he's done. And Dude, he's you hate him so much!
0: To... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's stop talking about Godal. Are you done with your notes about... No, um... I,
1: I, am, I am done with I anything else. No, okay, it was, it was really, have... really good
0: i okay, I'm really glad they enjoyed it because it's one of my favorite French films of all time. It's one of those things that i've it was one of the first films that I've seen that I was made to watch on the course on my first ever course on my first um film studies degree so first year, first course I uh, was doing like introduction to cinema, and I was taking. In parallel, I was taking a French New Wave course as well. And this was probably the second or third film that was shown. The first must have been something for like Les Mistons and Um Les Quatre cinq
1: Coups,
0: Um, and I think yeah, we kind of and I remember I was I'm happy that you picked up on the on Miles Davis's credit at the beginning because when I I remember being in in the cinema well the studio cinema at uni and the credits came and i saw his name i'm I'm a big jazz fan so i saw that and i was like oh my god this is gonna be amazing it was a bit like watching like i think i mentioned this before when you made me watch uh, mccabe and mrs miller and i saw um leonard cohen's name on the credits as the music and i was like yeah. oh, this is gonna be good so that's kind of the same sort of enthusiasm that I had for, for uh, Miles Davis. And he, um, a fun fact, he recorded the music with a quartet of French and US musicians in a few hours from like 11pm till 5am. One night, just one night. Watching the movie and improvising. So he was in a room with Jean Moreau and Louis Mal and... They were drinking and playing music and watching the film on repeat and he was just watching he was looking at the screen at the final edit. I would assume I don't really know probably the final edit, and recording the music there and then <laughs> and on twitter on my personal Twitter account, the head the sort of the cover photo is is a photo from that night.
1: I wondered what that was.
0: That is a photo from that night. You've got Jeanne Moreau and and Miles Davis with his trumpet playing in Jeanne Moreau's ear. (laughs) Uh. Yes. Jeanne Moreau is one of my favourite actresses of all time. Probably my favourite French actress. And, yeah, I think we've kind of established that it's this is almost a French New Wave it's 1958, not quite French New Wave but almost on the cusp of it's directed by Louis Mal who later the same year speaking of films that we can have on the podcast since you've mentioned it uh, he directed the controversial film uh, Les Amants, The Lovers again with Jean Moreau so it's this is a noir love story, but quite romantic, perhaps more romantic than most noir films because most noir films have a femme fatale that is just pure evil and Florence is not as evil as most femme fatales. Um, it, it's, a, it's a love story, but also quite a generational conflict story. So I'm glad that you, I, I really, am happy that you picked up on the um, Veronique and Louis um, sort of angle and that you enjoyed and you found it compelling. I found I personally found that couple a bit annoying, but um, I've actually written an article about it, not just about Louis and Veronique and how annoying they are, <laughs> but about the generational conflicts that are sort of alluded to in, in this story, because it's not just about, you have Julien and Florence, but you also have Louis and Veronique, and let's not forget that Florence's husband is much older than her, so there's kind of like almost three generations and you have you have French colonialism and you have a lot of like the new generations of the sixties that are fighting against the generations of the of the of the, of the like fifties and 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 forties even so there's a lot of history to unpack, not just personal love stories and conflicts but in terms of like the bigger picture that was becoming to unravel in the society of the 50s and 60s because as we know there's a lot of there was there were a lot of conflicts in those days not just in Europe but everywhere
1: yeah kind of it kind of like when when they mentioned uh Indochina yes exactly um, I just kind of immediately went towards you know, the scene from, from Apocalypse Now uh, Redux, or the, the final cut, because it's not in the actual original cut, is the scene with the French plantation scene, um, where Martin Sheen's, um, I can't remember his bloody name now, Martin Sheen's character goes to, um, you know, he's travelling through the, the river and they come across this flan- French plantation and yes, um, yes. the French people that there are just refusing to leave, despite the fact that the, you know, yeah. the uh, country that they once, you know, possessed is is kind of falling through their grasp, and you know, like, and then and then you get the Battle of Algiers, which is you know very much about French occupation of Algeria. It's um, a great film, and, and it is about an amazing, amazing piece of cinema, and that an film, amazing score. You know, yeah, and it, it does it does the same kind of thing where it shows how French colonialization is falling apart and kind of falling through, you know, the, the cracks, as it were, and imperialism is no longer um, relevant in this post-World War II world that they're living in. And Absolutely. I feel that there is, there is that definite undercurrent there in, in Elevated to the Gallows. Um, Absolutely. Especially because of the constant references to Julien's army background, um and his you know you know that wasn't needed to be there it wasn't needed to be known that you know he worked in the army but we then find out he not only was he in the army but he was in you know what special forces or something and he, he was yeah like yeah he was, Algeria, he was quite Indo-China. mercenary you know uh, he was in you know he he's very you know he, he knows exactly what, what he is a part of um and he you know with his kind of almost like execution of 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 uh Uh, Florence's husband you know he he kind of was like almost saying goodbye to that world as it were saying I don't want any more part of the world that you I've been part of for so long and then you get Louis who is like I'm gonna rebel against everything because I can um because I'm young and I don't have the worries that you guys have and I think with
0: Louis he, he doesn't really understand why he's what he's rebelling against he's He's a rubber without a cause, as as yeah. cliche as that might sound. He is. He's just. You're tearing yeah. me
1: apart. Sorry, yeah. that's my rubber without a cause James <sighs> Dean impression. Um, but yeah, also that. But you get this amazing scene, you know, with the, with the Germans, you know, and uh, which uh, which kind of was had me really interested because I I I kind of caught on to the fact that the the, the older the gentleman I can't remember his name. It um, doesn't he, matter. Yeah, he he kind of caught on immediately to the fact that Louis wasn't who he said he was. Of course. Um, and he was just playing along with it because he saw the you know impetuousness of youth, and you know when Louis kind of reeling off all these things that he'd done, you know he's kind like encouraging him and just being like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, yeah, of course you are, of course you are, you know, and just letting him kind of fulfill these fantasies, and almost kind of ends up being the guy's downfall, as it were. Um, and I think the fact that they are German as well is also, there's also something else there, you know, German occupation of France and, and...
0: a bit of vendetta right there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um,
0: I think everything is kind of, it's got, uh, it means something else too. And it's, that's what I've always loved about this film. It just has a lot of double meanings and a lot of everything is, is not left a chance and it's like you said the, the left is a purgatory and everything is is done with with kind of precision and it, you kind of see what everything leads up to and how it's kind of spiraling out of control but at the same time it makes sense as well and yeah, I think, yeah, Jeanne Moreau is... I think she's exceptional and I'm really like... I'm really glad that you've you've seen how beautiful she is. She's... She was just incredible in this. And he... Louis Malle, shot her in close-ups and natural light and in rain and often without makeup. So the story goes that she, because she... She'd never been. She she was already quite an established star at this point, and had never been seen in like natural light before. The lab technicians w- were reportedly appalled at how unflattering she was, although she I thought she was gorgeous, and kind of like didn't want to process the film. But then it became kind of clear that heart had captured something that was. Quite unique, and I think that's kind of like the aesthetic of, of the um, French new wave that would sort of blossom in a year or two. So yeah, I'm I'm I I can't I can probably watch her walking down the Parisian streets at night, like on loop, because she's just so hauntingly beautiful.
1: Can, can I? How how often have you? been tempted to do that to yourself just just walk through the streets of paris at night in the rain <laughs> and kind of just randomly ask people kidding? if they've seen julian
0: i would never i mean this no i would I it, i'm not saying like pandemic i'm, not, I'm not aside, saying like you do because you but can't like, go out at night now um you can't go out at night anyway yeah but um, i'm just
1: if, if if like you weren't in this situation would would you be tempted just to just do that just no walk through the no. Right. No,
0: it's dangerous for for uh, women to go wandering around. may I don't know how. It, I mean, you've you've seen that she got picked up for thinking for people thinking she was a streetwalker.
1: Oh yeah, no, I did. Yeah, okay.
0: So they thought she was a prostitute. <laughs> people don't do that. Women don't yeah. do that. Not in Paris. Yeah. In London, I've, I've done it many times, but not in Paris because I it's it's different cultures and yeah parisians don't expect you to walk alone at night unless you have a specific interest in mind
1: (laughs) okay all right it's the city of love
0: so what do you you know (laughs) but interesting question thank you
1: (laughs) that's right (laughs)
0: um (laughs) I, I felt like um, Maurice uh, René deserves a mention, although he doesn't get up too much. He's He kind of gets stuck in the lift and he's just left there, struggling. He Like you said, he's the war hero. He's kind of like war hero, mercenary, lover, killer, all more or less rolled into one. And he's just... It's kind of silly that he becomes the victim of an elevator is—it's it's kind of like anticlimactic for his career to be put to an end by um, like something as banal.
1: Well, they said uh, he'd be out in five, didn't they? They, yeah. they said oh, you know he'll be out in five years, and um, but you're you're going to be you know, John <laughs> Lawrence is going to be there for a long time.
0: Yeah, she's yeah. I, I really liked him. I think he I, I, I liked I, I don't know, I liked him. Uh he's I've seen I've seen a few other films with him. Um uh, The Fire Within, which is also directed by Louis Mont and it might be quite an interesting contender for a future podcast episode. And also let's not forget that he co stars with Alain Delon in um, Purple Noon, Plan Soleil, in nineteen sixty which is the original adaptation of Patricia Highsmith's novel The Talented Mr Ripley.
1: I um I'm, I'm confession I've not seen any adaptation of The Talented Mr Ripley not even the the is it the Matt Damon Jude Law one I've
0: yes. not seen that either. Yes. So Rene plays the Jude Law character.
1: I think that film was was one of my nan's favorite films. So It is a very good th- like th- to film. See that.
0: Yes. And just to conclude, that this film was the first foreign language film to be featured on Turner Classic Movies Noir Alley on the 3rd of March 2020. Huh. So, yeah. It's kind of because noir is always associated with American gangster films of like the 40s and 50s. However, noir is, is, is a French word for black. So it took a while for the Americans to realize that maybe we should look at French cinema to see if there's any good noir films there. You know, like we've discussed on, on our last episode, maybe we should think of, you know, French cinema as being a good source of noir films. And this is, you know, it, I think it's kind of interesting that we kind of Picked this film, which is kind of like a tail end of of noir season, like classic noir films, because by nineteen fifty eight, noir films in America was were kind of more or less done because we have they had Technicolor, and soon enough, we we talked of, of neo noir with Chinatown, which is nineteen fifty seventy four.
1: Is Chinatown neo-noir, though? I don't think it is. I think neo-noir kind of goes from heat onwards. Okay. i th- I not, I'm not, I'm not, i just, I'm not, okay. like, given the exact definition. I just feel that, I personally feel that the Chinatown is, is just, it's just a, a noir film from the 70s. I think neo-noir is more of a modern term, kind of applied to anything from the 90s onwards. Right. Okay. Um through to today let' maybe but yeah no i i, I kind of get where you where you're coming from with that um it would be it would be kind of more interesting, i think if like the noir discussion you know especially in you see in in, in on Twitter quite a lot at the moment with this hashtag noir November thing that a lot of the films being discussed are either american or or British. It doesn't seem to be kind of anything from France, and yet we've had two films back-to-back from France that are clearly have these elements of noir that are so, you know, that they, they pretty much are the, the definition of noir, if that makes any sense.
0: Absolutely. And let's so, not forget South Korea.
1: And South Korea. We, you know, we, we had, you know, the South Korean Memories of Murder as well, so... um. But then, you know, we're gonna go and spoil it all by uh, having the next one be an American one. <laughs> you had <have> to. <laughs> and then next, and then next week, we've got two other American films. So we're kind of falling to uh, type, really, aren't we? We're just kind of falling into the stereotype of of this is what noir is. It's an American or a British film, but yeah. So is that all kind of all you done on, on Elevator to the Gallows, yeah? Yes. Awesome. Um so we we move on to uh twenty fourteen's uh, Nightcrawler, directed by uh writer well screenwriter uh Dan Gilroy, this is his first feature film. Um I've got a brief synopsis when Lou Bloom, desperate for work, muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. Aiding him in his effort is Nina, a TV news veteran. This film stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, Lou Bloom, uh, Renny Russo, uh, Riz Ahmed, and uh, the late, great Bill Paxton, with uh, an appearance from, from Kevin uh, Rahm, who... Uh, Danny knows as uh, Ted Shaw from uh, TV's Mad Men. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really interested to know your thoughts.
0: Okay. So, um, hmm. at first I was going to say how much I hated this film. Okay, so I was, I was, as soon as I finished it. I was going to, I was still kind of shaking and it's still fresh in my memory. So I was kind of, oh, express, on this podcast, I was going to express my disgust at at the subject matter, my outrage at the whole industry, this film portrays. Um, I had to stop, I actually had to stop halfway through and pour myself a glass of something strong because I was quite appalled at what I was seeing. But then I thought about it a bit more and, I mean, I doubt that this film will change anything with regards of how we're perceiving news or how we're consuming news or how or why, like, raise the question of why we can't seem to look away from from a tragedy or, like, you you know it's that it's a car crash that you just can't look out away from. It's 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 something psychologically damaging, but it's like a moth to a flame. We just it's it's perhaps in our DNA to consume this content. We can't look away. So people with no scruples go out and find this for us to make a buck. It's a niche. Um, I didn't really know what this film was going to be about. I thought that because I suggested Elevated for Gallows, I thought it might be about some sort of dark love story, a suave, sexy murderer who stalks neighbourhoods of LA. Um, I don't know. I really did not expect this. A monster-slash sociopath. I... It, I don't know. The problem is that I think he's what's his name, Lou Bloom. Yeah, he's a mirror of our society's ills. He's 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 not the only one that he's found a niche. He's he's just you know found something that he's good at. He's just making money of it. He's the rest he doesn't really care it's just background noise Yeah, people love to see gruesome murders almost almost live on television what's wrong with that you know this is the lo- the world that we live in right now you know you shrug your shoulders you watch your partner die in the middle of the road you film it and then you move on so yeah the it it was it was quite a shock the idea of you know, morality, ethics is just, you know, long gone. We just, ethics is just a word that lost all meaning. We don't even, yeah, think about it anymore. What we're about here is just sensationalism, TV ratings and money. I I really don't know how to express my loathing towards most of the characters in this film. With the exception, of course, of Rick um whose demise just broke my heart and of course like you said the guy played by lovely lovely kevin ram ted cho who is always a side for sore eyes he's just always the dis- decent lot of the, of this one of the decent one of the lot um but yeah i mean jake dylan does make my skin cro- i think he's just brilliant in this he's so creepy At the beginning, I was like, whoa, is he a bit on the spectrum? Is he quite unhinged? What's he all about? You know, you kind of know that he's not good and you kind of wait for him to go the extra mile and become the the monster that you, you kind of suspect him to be. And as soon as I... You see him, like, okay, he's the guy, he's dead, but he's not quite in the shot, so just let's just move it a bit to the side. You're like, okay, he's gone too far, and now he, he, he there's no stopping him. And you know that he's going to, you know, be bigger and bigger until something's... I was hoping something might stop him. I was hoping he might get his comeuppance at some point in some way. And, but in, you know, it's kind of proving that life is not just, there's there's no justice in this world, really. There isn't, really. It's just, it's just sensationalism. And, yeah, I think Jake Gyllenhaal should have gotten an Oscar nomination for this role because it was just completely and utterly chilling. And, yeah, I, it made me uncomfortable. It made me quite, yeah yeah not not happy at all it's just it's one of those films that you 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 don't enjoy watching but you're kind of you're kind of okay with them being what they are because you it reminds you how lucky you are that you you don't do that for a living or you're not part of that but you but then you remind yourself that you kind of are because you watch the news and you consume media and yeah you're part of the problem as well it's kind of a, it's quite a depressing film i can't say i enjoyed it but um it's very well made and very well acted and very well written
1: okay um i i I'm, I'm, I'm sorry i really am <laughs> um i feel like i need to apologize <laughs> cuz i put you through uh, uh, an uncomfortable. i mean i don't think hours. you expected
0: anyone to enjoy that film it's 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 basically the five o'clock news for two hours
1: yeah yeah um so kind of to break it up a little bit um i have a stanley kubrick connection for you um so dan gilroy the writer and director of this um he originally wanted to make a film about American photographer uh Ouija, um real name Arthur Fellig. Um he was looking at his book uh called Naked City, um in the late eighties, and he kinda of thought to himself this book is an amazing intersection of art and crime and commerce. It's a direct quote from, from Dan Gilroy. You can kind of see you can see the origins of Lou Bloom kinda of taking shape there, the idea of art and crime and commerce. Now, Luigi, real name Arthur Felig, like I said, was an uncredited special effects consultant and credited still photographer for Doctor Strangelove, okay. and his accent, his voice, was also one of the influences for Peter Sellers's voice of the eponymous Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> so the squeakiness and the kind of the high-pitched voice of Doctor Strangelove. That is apparently how Ouija would speak. Mm. So what he did was he kind of inflected this voice with a German accent, and that's how we got Doctor Strangelove. Um, look. So yeah, I, I thought I'd, I'll give you that story first because I think that's quite a cool story.
0: You know, listening to to that story, I was thinking, have you've seen Road to Perdition?
1: I haven't. No, I, I've not seen Road to Perdition. Okay. We we'll had to rectify that, haven't we?
0: Yeah. It was just I'm not gonna give much away, but there is a photographer in the film that always gets there first.
1: Okay. Um I'm,
0: I'm just gonna leave it there, but we we have to get
1: you to watch that film. Okay. So you know you said like you can't see how anybody enjoyed this film. I I uh I named this film in my top twenty of the 2010s. It was in my top ten of twenty fourteen. It was a place higher than I actually looked this up because I, I did my I did my top ten rankings for every year for the last like six, seven years. Um I played this I, I placed this at number six of twenty fourteen with um <laughs> You're gonna punch me <laughs> virtually punch me in the face. Um one place above the Grand Place Budapest Grand Budapest Hotel.
0: You know that's my favorite film of 2014. I know,
1: but I'm just saying that like, I, I placed this. How can film you compare up, uh, the
0: two? That film is just the most amazing feel-good <laughs> film of all time, I'm and this saying... is just making me depressed and making me want to cry yeah. for humanity.
1: Uh, <laughs> anyway. So, like I said, I named this film. This is back when we did like last year. Both me and you did like a top 20, didn't we? Of 2010s, oh, um, yeah. just as like an exercise, didn't we? And yeah. um, I had this. I don't like l- ranking
0: I... things because it just makes me feel sorry for everything I've left out. <laughs> it's like choosing between my own babies. <laughs> not that I've not that I've made any films, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but watching this with a 2020 lens, um, especially in a post-Trump lens, which I ne- I didn't i did i hadn't seen this since 2014 when we re, when i rewatched it for this podcast but watching this with the lens of a post-trumpian world this film is utterly frightening um yes there's a manipulation of truth and a manipulation of people for the sake of ratings for the sake of power for, for a message in the media and this is one that we are dealing with The ramifications of daily, and we will end up doing so for for a long time. I feel that in this 21st century that we're living in, the the social media and TV obsessed world that we're living in, a character like Lou Bloom is is rewarded, like I kind of alluded to at the beginning of this podcast. Whereas Julian, in his world, is punished for his acts. In this 21st century world, we are in, Lou Bloom is rewarded, and. In the end of the decade, he would have been the villain and be punished for his acts. Like you said, you were waiting for him to get his comeuppance.
0: Yeah, I but, was, and I was disappointed.
1: But he he he's not going to, because that's kind not of the world that we're living in. I was kind of hoping
0: a car might run into him and kill him and crush, yeah. crush him when he was, you know, in the, the final car chase scene.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know. We, oh. uh... In in like I said, in a just world, it would have been would have been him that was shot and not Rick, but that's not what happens. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is is like you said, it's so good and it's so underrated. It wasn't even not it wasn't nominated for any major awards, and it's utterly utterly shocking. I, I think know. his control of the screen oh, and his God. control of the movements, and even more so, this is like his control, which is 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 even more so powerful than when he actually does lose control is utterly frightening.
0: He was very um
1: good. I think you you understand that this that this character will stop at nothing to work his way up to the top. You know, we at the, at the start of the film, you know, we, we see this we see a man who um who is a blue collar worker who declines to employ him saying he would never employ a thief. He's a blue this is a blue collar man. He's clearly a man that works with his hands and, and understands business and, and you know the the traditional American way. However, René Russo's Nina who I think is a very very vulnerable, excellent performance you know she is a woman who lives in this in this new world who uh, you know the media world that's away from the blue collar world you know and not only she does she pay him but she encourages him um you know special mention you know goes to to Rhys um very very sympathetic rick um kind of a man who was kind of stuck on hard times and it get, gets end up caught in Lou bloom's web um and a, it's such a tragic tragic oh, no. character and and of course you know i've got to love me some bill paxton um i love seeing bill paxton pop up and stuff and it's <laughs> i'm so sad that he's died he passed away um yeah so I was going to say, so Gilroy kind of spent a long time in the screenplay for this, you know, like I said, the original idea for this kind of came around in the 80s, developed it through the 90s, until it, it seems to have found its place in 2014. Um, Gilroy wanted to explore what capitalism would do to a person like Lou Bloom, um, how it would end up possessing him, you know, keep him driven, but also, you know, push him over the edge. Um, and you also see how uh, capitalism ends up failing a person like Rick. Yeah um so you know it's like you said it's watching this film in 2014 i was like this is an amazing film about how media kind of is is corrupting our world and in 2020 i'm thinking this film is is just prescient
0: (laughs) oh god it was i had to stop and i had to sort of take a breather and after i finished watching i had like my, my hands were shaking i'm like what have I just seen? It was very, very unsettling because it's so real.
1: Hmm. Um lost uh he lost nearly thirty pounds for the role. Um He lo- he does look
0: emaciated, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he does. Um he ate apparently ate nothing but kale salads and chewing gum and ran running fifteen miles a day um to get this look. <laughs> That is um, ridiculous. Gilroy wanted uh, Lou to be like a coyote, you know, a nocturnal predator, one who is kind of driven by, you know, uh, its hunger, it's, you know, its never-ending hunger. Um, and I feel that Jenninghall kind of captures this essence perfectly. Um, the score from James Newton Howard, I think, is this amazing, unique blend of kind of like... There's an orchestral sound in there, but also there's an electronic sound, which is also which is very very reminiscent of um, Cliff Martinez's score for for uh, Drive, uh, which was directed by uh, Nicholas Munden And I don't think the comparisons with Drive end there either. I think the way L.A. looks in both of those films kind of fulfill what I feel Michael Mann was going for in. His masterpiece, one of his many masterpieces, uh, *Collateral*. Um, think oh, about yeah. how in *Collateral*, the way the night looks in LA, the digital yeah. camera. Yeah. I feel like *Drive* and *Nightcrawler*, especially, perfectly capture this. You know, the, 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 this LA feels one that's kind of lived in, but yet yeah, somehow is is kind of like this wilderness of danger you you know you remember how in collateral like there's an actual sequence where a little coyote literal coyote yes. comes in from the wilderness at yes dawn. yes
0: yes and it's yeah you see it it's, it yeah it i mean i prefer i would yeah i i i really liked collateral it was it was i rem- i saw it in cinema in, was it 2004
1: yeah 04 oh with, i think it was with, one start of the... with tom cruise in his only villain role
0: yeah, and I think it was the first film where Tom Cruise doesn't smile.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me.
0: Because he has that—he has the charming smile that you see in, like, you know, Vanilla Sky and Jerry Maguire and everything—the kind of like the winning smile. But in this one, he's just—he's an assassin. Yeah, and he's a he's villain. Very good at it.
1: Yeah, um, and he kills a jazz player as well to kind of link it into elevator to the gallows. <laughs> um yeah no I, I i like i said this film in my opinion is one of the best ones of the 2010s and i think it's a hell of a debut from from screenwriter down girl royally um, we have two
0: you we have two de- debut directors on this episode
1: yeah well that's a fun that's actually a good coincidence i didn't, we didn't actually mean for that to happen
0: yeah
1: yeah no i um I. i i don't really know what else to say i mean it's just like I said, like when I first saw this in 2014, it was like this is a this is a cool film that's kind of like Drive, and it's got Jake Gyllenhaal in a in a you know really good performance, you know. And and over the years, it's kind of like kind of obtained this status for me of being like, oh, that was a really really good film. I should, really should get around to rewatching that. And then I'm gonna finally watching it for this podcast, and then watching it in this frame of mind of what we're all going through. Yeah. At the moment, and not I only know. that, but what we have kind of seen happen over the last four years in particular, it's put things it's, into
0: perspective, hasn't it
1: it yeah, it's just made it so much more powerful
0: I know it's just i don't know if it i don't know if I don't really know if it's as powerful as it wants to be, as in like I said, I don't think it will change anything in the world, unfortunately it is a very very strong message that it delivers and it is i mean visuals are very 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 well done and it's a very good film and the performances are haunting but i don't think i will rush to see this anytime soon i'm sorry to say it's just no 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 it was no, a bit I, too depressing
1: but that now you can at least turn around and when someone says to you oh yeah bubble boy you know, he's he's not a very good actor. You can turn around and say, actually, have you seen Nightcrawler? And just, you know, be like Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in Nightcrawler is insane. Bubble and, Boy. Yeah, he was in a film called Bubble Boy, uh, when he was a kid. Or oh, like a young teenager before Donnie right. Diaco. I
0: mean, come on, he was in Brockback Mountain. He did really well in Brockback Mountain.
1: Yeah, but no, but I'm just saying, like there are these there are people out there that don't actually think Jake Gyllenhaal's that good of an actor, he's kind of at one note. Um I believe it or not, I actually discovered this the other day. Um and I can't believe that because you've got his performances in this. You've got uh, prisoners, enemy, like his performance in Enemy, I mean when he plays these two characters have you seen Enemy, Denis Villeneuve? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Um that's really, really fucking good. Um his performance in Prisoners again by Denis Villeneuve. Um Yeah. And I I Yeah, okay, the Dubers. I in think Prince he's Persia, really good, but... yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a really, really good actor. And I think this shows. This film shows his range and really shows him how he can kind of, like, utterly transform himself into a role and get lost into a character.
0: Yeah. It kind of. Just one final note. Um, it kind of made me think a bit of, a, like, a pre- precursor to Joker in terms of the crazy eyes, the very, like, gaunt face and. A bit on, at the beginning at least, like the, the sort of person left out by the system on the outskirts of society trying to make, trying to find a sort of a purpose for themselves.
1: Yeah, but the difference between this and Joker is that Joker is a piece of shit film um, directed by a hack director and just so happens to have a really, really good performance while you're acting in Phoenix um
0: let's not let's not go on on a rant about joker please
1: no okay no i won't um
0: so what have you got on for next week
1: so wisely changing the subject before i get lost into a rant um (laughs) next week (laughs) next week um we're kind of changing the tone uh tone a bit but still keeping the noir um frame as it were the noir bracket um so both films, uh, for what I can gather, are comedies. Uh, the first one being *The Thin Man* from 1934, directed by W. S. Van Dyke, starring William Powell and Myrna Loy. Um, which I've just did. Danny just say yay in the background.
0: Yeah, I mean <laughs> we're kind of making the slow transition to Christmas.
1: Yes, and and linking that with Christmas, uh, so it's Kiss more
0: Kiss- Christmas. So i I'm I'm. Oh my god, I can't wait.
1: Yeah. So linking that with Christmas, we've got uh, Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from 2005, uh, a writer director that pretty much has Christmas in all of his films um, when it stars uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Val Kilmer and Michelle Monaghan. Um, I
0: love I Robert Downey
1: Jr. I can't believe you've not seen it anyway. We're, we're to find it for next week. but whereas, I think like, it this was week, meant
0: to be on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think like because we've like you said, like we had last week being, you know, like the light hearted one. The week before, like the first noir episode was quite dark, you know, with memories of murder. Then we try I tried and lightened it up a bit with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This week we're we're, you know, you almost sound as though you were traumatized by what you experienced when slightly, it came to Black Brawler. Slightly. Um and you know, and and next week we're just like, you know, screw it, let's just have some light hearted fun. Oh we're um, gonna have a lot uh of... we... oh. before we go to Christmas.
0: I can't wait to start talking about my little boy.
1: Um i I'm, I'm yeah. So that is next week. Um Danny, where can we find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at KinoJone and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk. so I will link to my article about uh, Left of the Scaffold on the show notes.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Nick Chandler, and my website is superatomovision.com. Um, if I have time, I'm tempted to now write an article on how Nightcrawler relates to in a, a post-2020 Trump world.
0: I think you should do it. Not if. Um, you have time. Make time. Sleep an okay. hour less.
1: <laughs> Sleep an hour less. Um... I'm actually fine for assignments for a few weeks, so I, I think I should while the film's yeah. while the film's stuck in my mind So keep an eye out for that. Um I've also <laughs> I've also posted up on Twitter um when we were discussing it, um, you know, a reference to the Horcruxes, So if you see that on Twitter, give it a like. I just want to see how many people make it this far. <laughs> <laughs> um and like I said, uh, like Danny said earlier, you can email us on keenatomic at gmail.com. Um, let's know your favourite noir films. Um, whether you think the kind of the, the canon of noir films should be more inclusive, uh, the answer should be yes. But we're interested to know your thoughts. And you can follow us on Twitter at #Kinotomic. Look out for there for more engagement. We're trying to be more engaged. For, uh, was it more engaged on Twitter with the main account, aren't we? Yes. Yes. Uh, so with all that in mind it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me
0: and a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me